0: Or, yeah, okay. No, we are
1: go. now recording. Hello, people. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Boy, oh, fucking alert. I'm here with Jimothy um, Smith from the Jimothy Smith Foundation. How are you doing today, sir? I'm,
0: I'm, I'm very well, sir. I'm very, very well. Uh, how are you? How
1: are you? I'm good. I actually have a question to ask you. This is um, extremely serious. And uh, well, it's, I was watching. I don't know. Have you ever seen this guy before? Um, the Toe Rogan. Yes, I have. Oh, wow. That was very, very rude. He's actually like a, a fine, outstanding gentleman, but he um, he, he was talking about something that kind of creeped me out. It was to do with this like virus that's going around. And he brought in an expert on um, a, like a doctor who's like really good with this stuff on, on figuring this stuff out. And it was you didn't see this cast by any chance. It was fucking fantastic. No,
0: no, no, I did not. It's just the old Chinese virus that's going around.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he brought in this like genius <laughs> to, to deal with it and uh he's he's such a a,
0: genius he's got two pairs of shoulders he's extra juicy how much (laughs) lifting have you got to do for that
1: jimmy like please don't don't point out the terrible i couldn't even get it to be properly i was like how is this guy so long the guy in the purple (laughs) anyway this genius um, with the massive head was uh discussing this virus he said it's coming from um he's coming from like yeah around about the pacific ocean it's really worrying like it's um this like they're describing as like a swarm and they're coming to fuck people up and uh, they actually got a picture of it. So they stuck it on the TV there in, in Rogan when he was talking about it. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. Oh. And, um, yeah, like I, I'm freaking out. I, like, are you freaking out? Um, well,
0: to be completely honest, according to this mythology, they've been invading my personal house for the last year and a half. <laughs> So it's nothing new. If, as far as I'm concerned, it's a good thing if they're suddenly taking on Toe Rogan and everybody else. That's fine.
1: It's, it's like a monomyth where you're like trapped in this inception-like dream where like every every time every time you wake up, it's like, oh my God, they're here again. I can't. And then you go through your life and then they catch you and then you wake up back in the same dream. Well, look, we have a solution. Like I, I hope you understand. We've actually found a cure. And um, we realized how much danger you went in and because we care about you, we, we literally figured out a way to help you to to solve it for you, so you're gonna be okay.
0: That's that's not a bad edit, to be fair. I'm quite impressed with that one, at least, compared to the shitting Nietzsche on the side. What's wrong with Nietzsche? With a black and white face and a hand.
1: I even I even look at this. I even matched up the the way the suits open.
0: Yeah, it's like slight, you're slightly off, mate. But I'll I'll let I'll, I'll
1: it. You're slightly off, mate. Yeah, I oh, know. Oh, fuck off. All right, people, we're gonna take. Was that it? Questions. Was that was
0: that, the, was that the whole story? I'm fucked.
1: Yeah, yeah dude. Like, do you think I? Okay, it's kind of weird. My computer is just frozen, so I've got like Nietzsche and Joe Rogan like stuck as my desktop. (laughs) (laughs) All right, um... Let's. We're we're going to do some questions then. That is the end of the story. Well, it's it's a it's a happy ending. Like I wanted to keep it short and punchy, like an aphorism. You know, you're, you're, Jimmy's in danger. Joe Rogan's making us alert. Joe Rogan's alerting the boyos Nietzsche comes in and says, "We must quarantine quarantine the Jimmy. We must we must uh, stick him in his suit." And so there you go. Now we understand what's going to happen. And of course, going forward, we're going to do stuff that's slightly more serious, such as uh, answer some questions for people and rip into them. So, uh, Jimmy, give us your thoughts.
0: Yes, 100%. 100%. So uh, this is a uh, full disclaimer. This is for the old Patreon stuff. We used to do Q&As over there. Now we're moving them onto a channel so the whole world can see them because yeah. these conversations are always riveting and beautiful. <laughs> so uh, people have asked us loads of questions. We're going to go through them, answer them in as much detail as we possibly can. So let's begin. We have a, first of all, this question comes from Kent One and he's asked the same question twice because I, I have no idea why and it's disgusting. And he says, um, what would Nietzsche and Jung tink about a wee lass calling me da while I'm giving her me bloodseed. In other words, he's there choking a woman. She's going, daddy, choke me more, choke me more. What would Nietzsche and Jung have to say about this?
1: Like, dude, why you, uh, you want me to answer first? I was going to leave it to you, Jimmy. Well, you've
0: what? read all of Nietzsche a million times. You've got to sleep with the audiobooks going books going, I must be an Ubermensch. I must, daddy, Nietzsche. So he if, must have said that, something about choking
1: women. Beyond good and evil, there is bloodseed. That's what he says. <laughs> Um, I, I, think, I think Nietzsche would approve, and I think Jung, despite the fact that you might have impressions that he was a nice guy. Actually, if you've watched the film, I think it's called A Dangerous Method. Mm. He's... Um Here's, I'm actually not even going to give a like sarcastic answer to this, right? Young met a dude called I think it was Otto Rank or something like that, or Otto something. He was a, a Nietzschean psychotherapist, and he had this radical way that was like extremely hardcore way of like giving people psychotherapy. Like he didn't really sit down and talk with them. He would, but he'd do stuff like radical honesty. Only his form of honesty would be like you're a little bitch. Go out and like live your life and whatnot. So it was this uh, very very interesting style of, of therapy, if you will. And then when Jung met him, that really Young said it was one of the most influential conversations he ever had and that really like shook young up and the the scene that they put in the dangerous method with keira knightley is that he young then went and took his um his little his little uh his little client his little client who was having a, a hysteria problem as women tended to do back then and uh, he took her into the, the room and he started spanking her and he started to, you know, act like daddy and whatnot and, and, how we can, and to, heal her, to heal her psyche and all this and uh, mm-hmm. imposed mm-hmm. himself as the dominant masca- masculine force. And uh, young, yeah, young got a bit naughty voice. Like, don't think that he was all like, oh, you know, everything's, everything's made of fluff and all that. No, he, got, he knew how to spank, like, and he did spank. And perhaps there's your answer, sir. That's the best I can do.
0: <laughs> so in other words, carry on. The more,
1: the more spanking, the better. Yeah, I, I was
0: going to say something similar, actually, because um, if you want to get technical here. It's, um, if, if women are doing that to you, they probably have. I mean, either they've been influenced too much by pornography and they think that's what they have to do, or it's, it's basically animus projection. So a woman's animus is informed by her father. It sort of lays down the foundation of uh, how they should interact with men. And if they've got an unhealed rift with their father, then they will project that onto other men that fit that particular pattern. So in the, in the heat of the moment when they're out of their heads and they go, daddy, spank me, daddy, please. Then yeah, she's actually psychically thinking that you are her father. And of course, what Nietzsche would have thought about this, well, he wouldn't because he never got laid. How about that?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah he died of syphilis, but he never got laid. Good one there, fucking <laughs> like 10 out of 10.
0: It was, uh, yeah, if, if you believe the book, my sister and I, which, um, so there, there is a book. I think I've sent it to you before, Steph. Um, it's, it's generally believed to be fake. it's it's a book apparently when Nietzsche went mad he was in the hospital and he was still with all his senses anyway and he wrote a whole book about how he was having sex with his sister and all other kinds of weird things normally considered to be a fake Edinger's one of the top Jungian psychologists believed it was real I don't know why so if it happens to be real he actually did have sex but it was with his sister uroboric incest
1: for you Fantastic! This is just the best side of this whole spheres where people get into like celebrity version of Nietzsche. It's like, did Nietzsche bang a sister? <laughs> Didn't Nietzsche <laughs> go insane because of syphilis? Didn't Nietzsche fuck a prostitute? It's like, all right, whatever. Yeah, it's and very very Nietzsche, entertaining. Nietzsche Nietzsche has a photo as well. Since we're into the celebrity mode, Nietzsche has a photo with a woman called Lou Salmon. We we'll talk about women here again. We'll talk about the old animus, the anima relationship to the to the to the, to the man and the woman. So Nietzsche um. Had a friend called Paul something. I don't know his full name, but he was, um, he, he was friends with Nietzsche. There you go. Yeah. And they were hanging out. And Nietzsche wrote Genealogy of Morals in response to this guy's book, actually. This guy tried to write a genealogy of morals. And Nietzsche wrote, like, he was he pretty much, he was like, he's my friend. This guy, Paul Reed, that's what it is. Mm. But he's a fucking idiot. He wrote a shit book and I'm going to write a better book. And that was pretty much <laughs> Genealogy of <laughs> Morals. That's where it came from. And uh, Lou Salmon, you, Jimmy, you probably know this, Lou Salmon was uh, this girl that the two of them um, were hanging around with. So I think Lou Salmon might have um, met Freud as well. She was a Russian chick and she, she, had, this t- she, no, she had a taste for high class intellectual men. So, of course, Nietzsche and Freud are, are pretty, they're good, they're good shots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nietzsche and Paul and her were hanging out one summer. And I think Nietzsche, did I ever, yeah, you've heard about this before, Nietzsche had this opening line where he was pretty much the first time I met her, he walked up and said, by, by days, what, what, what joy it is that the stars have decided to fall in our moment or something like that, like something really, really poetic, exactly how you'd imagine Nietzsche to drop the pick-up line. Yes. And then um, Lou and Paul ended up hooking up, and, and Paul ended up committing suicide because Lou, uh, Lou broke his heart. But um, Nietzsche got his heart broken for that because it was sort of like a little trifecta. They're all hanging out together. And, Paul, and Nietzsche went to Paul. And like, Paul, I'm going to ask this girl to marry her. And Paul's like, fuck, I, like, I want her to get with her. So obviously they're getting in a duchy situation. <laughs> and then Nietzsche was like, hello, woman, let's get married. And then she's like, ah, actually, I'm going to go with Paul. And then Nietzsche's like, for fuck's sake, are you serious? And then so he runs off. And that's where he ran off into the mountains. And that's where he wrote all his books. So he was actually just sort of like, Fuck this bitch. Fuck the life. Fuck women. Fuck the world. I'm going to go right. I'm literally going to go fix the Western canon. And then he ran off and did that. And like in fairness, it was like you sort of, I, I, I don't know. It was like he pulled something off anyway. So um, yeah, I don't know what you make of that. I don't know. And, and think of what happened to Paul. Paul ended up becoming an insignificant intellectual who killed himself because of Lou. So. I don't know, man.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I can definitely see where some of the more depressing stuff in Zarathustra comes from in that case. i have going to reevaluate all values, like relationships between men and women, because I didn't get laid. I jest, of course, Nietzsche was a nice man. I don't want to rip the piss out of him.
1: Nietzsche, uh, Nietzsche, I was going to say, Nietzsche. Jimmy's trying to make me Nietzsche cope. That's what he's trying to trigger me. Go on, yeah. go on. Next the only
0: thing that can trigger you is like, Nietzsche was gay and you're like
1: i hate that <laughs> shit man i get like r- red blooded i'm like well how dare you say he's, he's my gay if he's anyone's gay <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right so the next question comes from Sisyphus, and he says i feel like i'm living two lives one that's characterized by nature spirituality and synchronicity the will to god while the other is dominated by materialistic needs to-do lists and ambition for bettering myself the will to power sometimes the past align but more often they do not any advice on balancing the duality of being? Is there a path that serves both equally?
1: I answered this quite rudely, and so I must apologize. <laughs> I wrote this. I, I think I read it down. I was like, this so is...
0: Some a- of the stuff you put in the discourse, I was like, hello, Steph, how are you? And you're like, we must rebuild Rome, you cretin.
1: <laughs> pretty, pretty much sort of what I answered. It's like, why are you talking about this when you're not building? Why aren't you putting on Rome bricks? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> Um, the reason, the reason why I was, I was being rude, and I do apologise for it. It was, it was, I was being, I was being naughty, nasty, screechy, and a bit Nietzsche that day. And um, uh, the reason why I said this is because I would imagine the will to power to derive from nature. I would imagine this idea of my desire. Like nature seems like the, it does not seem like a very tranquil and nice and relaxed place. And so the conceptualization should be slightly different in my mind. It should be something like. Um, like you are nature, you're not really like that separate. And then this to-do list and these tasks and all that, surely they're, they have a goal, a goal to get you more freedom or power or something like that. And like, is is that really a separate will? Like, I I don't understand why we would be conceptualizing these as separate wills or nature as having a plan for you or some sort. Like if she has a plan for you, she's probably manifesting in your instincts which is what we would call your will to power and all this. So I just don't think whatever, whatever you're addressing, I don't think this is the right way to conceptualize it. And that's probably a lot of your problem is that you see a, a, a dichotomy that just literally is not there in my mind. So um, uh, Jimmy might have some thoughts on that.
0: No, yeah, I completely agree with you. That'd be my response as well, is that the, the two things are not, in fact, separate. And this is, this is a misconception I've accidentally helped propagate as well. I made a video on... Um, on Jung's, uh, what Jung thought about the resurrection and I put in there Jung believed that the psyche was separate from matter and so that does perpetuate this idea of a dichotomy and that's what Jung believed as in personally that doesn't mean anything necessarily because updated biology you know you can modulate your consciousness in many, many, many different ways through the material means. So these two things are not separate. So your life path is one thing. That dichotomy is literally just an opposites problem in your head, my friend, and you've got to go stop. What's what's sort of like the middle point, of course. Um, So no woo-woo nonsense here. If there is a split between you wanting to go ahead and do things in the world with your will to power, as you put it, versus this godlike synchronicity and meaning, then that means probably what you're finding is on your normal path, you don't have that sense of meaning and enjoyment. So the question would be, are you actually enjoying what you're doing? And so in, again, in more nomenclature terms, make it more technical. What's your anima development like? Do you wake up and you're excited? If so, wahoo. In other words, are you dancing with, with life as if it was a girl in front of you and you're enjoying it? That's one way of seeing it. Or is she making you feel all moody and depressed and she's distracting you with all this other fluff of like potential worlds you could build? And what is God saying to me? It's not. It's just when you're aligned properly on your path, those things come together. So that'd be my invitation to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, next question comes from the best username, or one of the best usernames. I quite like uh, Quasi Boyo, U- no, Boyos <laughs> as well. But this, is, uh, this one comes from Collective Raw Boyo Juice. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he asks, on the personal level, what myths or symbols empower your personal lives? What about some collective symbols that represent us Juicy Boyos in the Discord? I mean this in the way that Lo- Jung looked up to Philemon, or how the Romans looked up to Mars or Ares to invoke strength.
1: Well, I would, I would, I would most certainly say Jesus Christ is a big juicy myth and G and out. Like he, like I contemplate Christianity, but specifically I don't really contemplate the religion as much. Well, I do. I think about it a bit, but I think about him specific and I'm very, like, I'm very private about that. Like I read through Matthew and he says, don't go around being like, I'm a Christian. I'm a good, per- watch me pray. He says, yeah. no, go, go into your little dark room and make peace with your God and don't let anybody see because it's not about other people. It's about you and all that. And then so I I would contemplate a lot of what Christ represents, such as bearing witness to, in some sense, a destiny you cannot control. Like we all have that type of destiny. But then I'd also think about like, imagine, like it's a very, very hard thing to say, right, I'm going to represent the truth and possibly die for it like that's that's a very big thing to think about and i'm gonna do good instead of go for go for uh, if you wish and um, material gain and these type of things it's it's it, he he's forces you into higher ideals so i consider him one huge one for me obviously and um, no matter how nietzschean you are and you could even be so nietzschean that you maybe believe and believe nietzsche's take on christ he's it doesn't devalue christ at all like, it's still an unbelievably awe-inspiring story, and you should always keep it with you at all points. Um, Lucifer is another one that is just a, like, Paradise Lost, it's just fucking brilliant. Like, uh, I put out that video about Terrence McKenna, I absolutely love that, I think about it so much, because it's, it's something I might riff on maybe later, because I think there's a question coming up that will suit that, but... um where we are right now, like a lot of stuff, you can go back to Paradise Lost and be like, something may have actually happened at that point. We don't, yeah. really know, and that whole idea of like God having the harmony and then like Satan falling out of the choir because he wants to be like so brilliant and dazzling. It's just oh, so powerful. Tolkien used it for Lord of the Rings. Tolkien even, I think, has probably one of the best takes on it most clear take in it look at the the mythology for lord of the rings and you'll get something very very similar on top of that obviously the big g himself like god i like i like thinking about that myth and that archetype i presented it literally on the channel yesterday on uber Royal yesterday and um, that was the one thing i was trying to drive home is that like the one thing people struggle with is this idea of the personal god this idea that he's like gonna come and like fold your clothes for you and all that stuff and if you and that's actually what i describe as something like a straw man like you're kind of you're 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 pre-deciding what God should be instead of saying to yourself, well, what is going on in the world? And then when you actually just let go of all preconceptions and just look at the world, you do see that there's there's a hint of some type of order. And they, you're just you're just one step away right there. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good thing to comp- contemplate as well. On top of that, um I would think of stuff like uh like I guess you could say like a lot of stuff to do with the idea of Rome, the virtue those type of myths like uh, and history I, I i drop into a lot but i specifically think a lot about like those greek myths and the roman the greco-roman myths right now and the coherence they had of you know you had this the golden city in the center Vesta and you had virtue as the the warrior spirit who represented the truth and and preserved Vesta and Jupiter as this ordering power over the chaos of those emotions i think about that a lot because it's probably the most coherent myth that i can see that makes sense about everything i understand so mm. there's there's just a quick riff on a few of them and jimmy kind of preempted me because he was like yeah this guy's gonna laugh about Nietzsche and uh rome and bang there you go
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with you though on some of the um the old um what you say, the old greco-roman gods i really liked saturn like when i got into of course astro- you did, you uh, evil uh, yeah I got, I got into the astrology stuff a while back and i got into, into saturn and what Saturn might mean from an astrological perspective. And Saturn's a, like, out of all the gods, to me, he's the most interesting one, because he's also the one that no one really knows what he's there for. You know, there's like the others have a defined role. Satan's kind of like the gatekeeper, waiting for you to pass a challenge, so that you can go. He's I really like him. I really, really like him. Of course, Christ is obviously a massive one as well. I, I really like Christ. I was very much attached to Christ about six months ago, nine months ago. That was uh, the Christ Satan myth, and, and also Faust. Um, probably got a little bit too attached to that, to be honest with you, but I generally don't go through life thinking about symbols. I'm usually trying to keep myself as busy as possible. So the symbols I deal with personally are going to be things in my dreams and the things, in, and I've been sussing out dream reading really, really intensely over the last few months and it's massively helped. So I can distill, you know, this is the wise old man you know, this is whoever, whatever form, he can, he can either come in Nietzsche, he can come in Jung, he can come in Peterson, he can come in loads of different people. And so, you know, they're helping me. Uh, all the different women that, you know, my first love, my mother, my, my fiancé, they form one, one motif as well. And then all the monsters that come for me and stuff like that. That's kind of like my own personal myth. I don't need to worry about studying outside material and latch onto it. I can say these are symbols that have spontaneously arisen. But the, the fun part with that as well is oftentimes they're trickster figures that come and mistake you. So I had loads of knights appearing in my dreams, for example. And it wasn't because you need to be a knight. It wasn't compensating with that. It was like, you think you are a knight, you know? And it's like, it's smacking me down. i like, well, thanks, dreams. So yeah, it'd be more of a personal thing than that on my end.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Just a note on um, Saturn and um, Jupiter. Saturn was often the way that the Romans conceptualized what the... Although the Romans considered the Jews and the Christians to be atheists but they conceptualized the Jews and Christians to be worshiping Saturn. And you even see it nowadays, like the Jews and Christians and Islam, they have this, it seems like all the symbols of Saturn are still built into it. And the Romans considered themselves something like Jupiter. So I guess if I'm saying something like Greco-Romanism, and I'm not trying to pagan-fill anybody, like I'm just describing how I understand that religion, is um, fascinating because Jupiter is the god of justice, Saturn is the god of time. And the god of time has got got this sort of idea of like long-term plans. So the one thing that Nietzsche noted about the Jews is that unlike the quote-unquote master moralities, the Jews are able to make really long-term, they're like, you know, we, we, we may not be kings now, but we will be in the future. And that's actually a concept of Saturn. It's like this it's it's this form of long term thinking that's hard to do when you're just like a boyo. Because that's a form of like the group thinking in terms of thousands of years, that the group would be successful. That's an amazing, like even innovation in some sense. And this is why Nietzsche would always say slave morality probably is gonna win long term because it has that long term vision, whereas master morality is a lot more like in the moment. And then Rome What's interesting about that is, so that, that's something very interesting about Saturn I've always found. What's so interesting about Rome is the reconception, the rebaptism of justice, that word. Because we think of justice as something like equality or or like, you know, a social welfare program or something like that. But the justice the Jupiter was about preserving the order of the hierarchy. So it's like everybody gets a just place in the hierarchy. Like there is, you know, Mars and the Pantheon and all that. But Jupiter is the like nearly a monotheistic God that is the of of where those people sit within the hierarchy. And that's, um, that's related to, that's related to the idea of virtue and the warrior. Like you're almost, you're virtuous, And and that's like, this is so interesting, even the way you reconceptualize what virtue means. Like a lot of people talk about the heart as representing um, emotion, compassion, and that's most certainly there. But the heart can also represent courage. Like if you say someone has a strong heart, that's actually someone who's very good at facing fear, but it's a very virtuous, masculine way of asserting what the heart is for. And we use those metaphors, like broad chested is a physical image we see of someone who is brave. We consider these things all wrapped up into it. And in order to preserve justice properly, it is that type of heart energy that you need, that virtue that you need. And it's all wrapped up into that. And it becomes this very uh, very proud warrior religion in some sense that has a great coherence that I find absolutely beautiful and fascinating.
0: Yeah, absolutely great. Yeah, there's I there's, there's like my last thought. Yeah, and I remembered one final thing as well, which I've been looking at recently is uh, Gawain and the Green Knights. So the Green Knight oh, yes. and, and, and Gawain is so good because that's individuation in a nutshell as well. You can tell facts, facts, facts by individuation. That's what the story means, which I'll be making content on that in, in the near future. So good. If anything, if anything would sum up at least my channel, it would be that myth. I didn't know that's- it until fairly recently. It's like, that's what you need to do face the shadow, accept you're a flawed man by joining with, with the anima and break down your persona in front of the court of knights. It's like that's how you grow and develop, and that's how you survive getting decapitated. It's a good you're
1: Such a fil- You're such a filthy breath. It's oh,
0: well, apparently it was uh, Welsh and Irish originally, so it goes all way, way, course. way back. See, we just appropriated things, it because we're better than you.
1: All great things in that island, you'll find eventually came from Ireland. That's what, how it works. And then they all and, get taken by me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You... um that that's good that's that's the story where the green dude shows up and says anybody want to cut my head off and then yes he, he, like yeah. you know jimmy says yeah sure fucking that sounds class <laughs> <laughs> and you cut his head off and he's like right in a year i'll come back and do that to you and you're like yeah 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 so
0: right. Right. There's, there's, there's loads of layers to what it would mean but uh, yeah so next next question this one comes from liviu i'm sorry if i'm mispronouncing your name uh, liviu and you say i find myself frustrated with the disengagement between mind and body. Another one, I guess. Here I stretch the meaning to include unconscious and physiological processes, perhaps even some split second decisions where the conscious has no time to ponder. The latter is mostly unaffected by reason, observation etc while emotions trigger adaptations that have become generally counterproductive the only training strategy in quote marks i have so far is forcing myself into whatever difficult circumstance until it is familiar or mastered discomfort aside this option is not always viable the problem could be a rare occurrence do you yourselves find this to be an issue can you suggest any alternative approaches that are less dependent on the environment so it's another split question there go for it
1: this is, this is a great question It's really well articulated Which is so annoying Because then I have to get A really well articulated answer But I do <laughs> Two things popped into my mind That I'm going to riff off First of all It's the reconceptualization And the worldview That I would In some sense Promote i was talking about in that last video about like we're in this difficulty where we we have a mind body split now this is fascinating this is going to be quite philosophical it's not really going to give you the good answer that you're looking for but it it kind of runs into what we're saying here like the idea that there's a separate mind and body of course if you're studying Jung, you'll find that Jung eventually at some point says you're going to have to unite your thoughts and your feelings your body and your mind yourself and your environment that's actually um almost like a response. To something that happened when we fell materialistic the quote-unquote death of god when descartes said my mind i think therefore i am my mind is separate than this body and descartes like is actually came out with the idea that for example all animals aren't they're not real because they're just automaton machines that's what he called them and it was this idea that matter is like fallen so it's a very very it's like it's like a monotheistic abrahamic religion stripped of the divine which is frightening because then it's just like all that is is matter and that's sort of what went down and um, no the problem with that psychologically and jung jung worried about this because jung was like once you believe that materialistic thing you devalue what we consider psychology you devalue the mind you you don't believe that any of your thoughts are real you don't believe your emotions are real in a sense it's it's a weird it's a weird way it works and um, so Jung came up with a lot of his theories as an attempt to solve that problem. As I said in that last video about the death of God, the Christians would have a world theory that, you know, Satan and Christ are behind reality and it's like a curtain and you're playing with the pawns or whatever. So the, Jung would try to put the, 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 the emotional stuff back into the game by reconceptualizing this idea that your psychology has, you know, this shared human nature that is almost like our software coding. And he says, like, use psychology in order to unify those two things because they are unified. It's a very, very interesting and powerful solution. I think it doesn't work for people generally because it's too much jargon and people end up getting spurging out trying to figure out the jargon as opposed to actually doing the work. That's why me and Jimmy are often like, yeah, dude, like, maybe face your fears and that will cover the shadow, of the anima, and maybe even the self. Like, that's. You know, just start there and go hardcore at that for 10 years. You'll probably get a lot further than if you learn Jungian theory. You know what I mean? Because this stuff kind of boils down to that in, in some sense, like unless, unless it's a lot more advanced. But generally, if you know what I mean. Now... The reason why I say this is because I've, I've been wondering a lot recently if you could reconceptualize your emotions as part of reality. Like you're built up of instincts, which are these balls of fire and energy, as I've been saying many times, and they're like gods. They have all these separate desires. They want to help you. Your, your instinct for, for lust, those want to help you. It wants you to Genghis Khan the world. And your instinct for war is the same thing. And your instinct of fear is trying to protect you. But these things are ultimately like you're an, an evolved creature. You're not perfect. That's actually a weird thing about the Enlightenment materialistic paradigm is they said we're born blank slate, almost suggesting we're perfect, we're not broken, and therefore society corrupts us. Whereas this whole reframe from young Christianity, ancient religions, and even evolution now... Is saying, you're definitely not perfect, bro. I can guarantee you about that. And science has just reaffirmed that, like the you know, how biased we are and all that as of late. Mm-hmm. And so you can imagine that you've evolved all these strategies to deal with the world, such so as this instincts for lust, this fear. These emotions are all there to help you in some sense. But they're dumb and stupid. And then you have these you have these subtle higher emotions. The will to freedom, for example, the will to the will to like greater, greater uh, stability in your world, the will to conquer like long periods of time being like, I'm going to, you know, make, get a job that will keep me stable so I can build a family and project out into the future and all this. These wills are higher wills that g- create higher pleasures. They take away higher anxieties such as stability and, and, and you know, not having, not having to, to answer to anybody. Like that's a great will to freedom. It's horrible knowing that you can't speak because you're afraid of something's going to happen to you. That's actually like, it's not a God given right that you're allowed just be free. It's something you kind of have to craft in your life in a strange way. And it's an interesting paradox. And so reconceptualizing your emotions that way, I find it helpful for myself. Um, But then lastly, I'm talking a lot here. Lastly, when it comes down to it, I, I also do find that if you're just really, really blunt with it and just be like, all my lower emotions are Satan. And I'm just gonna try to go go for something more noble, it tends to work just fine as well. Like people, it's simpler, so it's easier to get in your head. And then, lastly, if you wanna work on improving without just throwing yourself in the environment and taking a lot of punishment, that does work. That's actually quite good. Look into something called deliberate practice, it's actually another scientifically verified thing where you behave you go out and you i don't know play the basketball game and then instead of just going home and and, and watching watching the ops, what you do is you'd uh, sit down and you'd write down maybe five things you remember and you just bring your conscious awareness to what happened and then you actually take more out of the experience and then next time you just make sure you don't make the same mistakes and you get one percent better each time for uh, uh, 10 years and that you, you're you skyrocket you get way way better and it's the proper way to practice yeah there's everything
0: No, nice, nice thoughts, nice thoughts. Um, I'll tackle it slightly differently, but I think kind of in a similar way. I think, live you, and bearing in mind, I'm trying my best to help here. I'm not trying to patronize you. I think the question itself might be the problem, because the way you've phrased it is very very articulate, clearly very intelligent, probably an intuitive thinker. um, But by thinking in this way is not how you unify your emotions with your mind. It's because I I know, for example, I'll, um, you know, I'll have big dreams. In many ways, the the future authoring program does this to people. It might be a good exercise for some people, but others, I guess it kind of paralyzes you. You get sort of like big dreams and like, right, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do things. And then you don't because you're stuck in your big (laughs) dreams. Right. And, you know, I've done, I have a real tendency to do this, by the way. When I studied astrology, I took like three days off from doing anything. It was like, this is the answer to everything. I must learn where my, where my, Jupiter is and what this sign means because that's the answer and I've got the key you're not doing anything because what in reality it's tricking you into thinking there's some kind of strange divide here and that this is the answer it's, it all comes down to whether or not you have an identity within yourself and whether or not you're an aligned person. It sounds kind of, kind of simple to say, but that, that's the idea. People who are out there getting after it don't sit there and think, well, my, my mind and my emotions are not aligned with one another because they're aligned, and you align yourselves by figuring out what you enjoy. Campbell, of course, called it the uh, following your bliss, but that's too fluffy, and I'm too cynical in, in English for following your bliss. Because you know? there is also a time for, for grit, as you said in here. You've got to force yourself to do difficult things sometimes. So it's not just following bliss, but it's are you happy with what you're doing? What, what, what is your relationship like with your significant other? Do you have one? You know, what's, what, what does that look like? Are you enjoying your career? If not, then your emotions are going to go, no. Because what you have as a person is a destiny. It's rooted in your genetics. It's rooted in your environment. It's rooted in your upbringing. You will have a set destiny. Approximately, there'll be some variability. And you'll find that your life follows this particular path. So if you're not doing it, your unconscious goes flick with anxiety and, and depression because you're not doing it. He goes, no, that's not your path. You don't like, it. you're doing it for reasons that's not making me happy. Because you see the, un- the only divide we should really have here is conscious and unconscious. And you should respect it and approach it and say, what should I want? What are my emotions telling me? And then you should go ahead and follow them as long as they're not going to burn you into, into a bridge. Because they say there's always a chance there's, especially if you're paralyzed like this, there's a trickster thing in there trying to trick you. You know, like, oh, there is a difference. I must, through reason, figure things out. So it, it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't work hope that helps not a direct answer but that might might be useful who knows just a boy of course (laughs) uh next question comes from my boy buck and whiskey and he asks how does one reconcile the breakaway from the all father in the hero's journey along with the development of his own separate identity with the acceptance and surrendering to god in christianity is it merely the acceptance of his mortality and lack of control of all things or is there something more very very good question actually very good question
1: do you want to go ahead so yeah
0: how- yeah I, I, yeah I, I could go first on this one um christ left his father first of all so i think i think we're, we're conflating the all father the great father with god the father and obviously it's a very easy thing to do because we're using big words and we're trying to fit conceptual categories christ left his father and he followed the will of god so he left his father and went towards the higher father But the higher father is kind of a confusing thing. It's a voice in the darkness. It's not God necessarily telling you to do things. It's aligned, because you asked about Christianity specifically, it's aligned with your own vocation. So I don't know about the other uh, um, uh, Judaism and Islam, the other Abrahamic religions. There's the idea of vocation where you have your own destiny. So you leave your father, you leave your birth family, and you follow the will of God. And the will of God in this case is not to be conceptualized as daddy from the sky going, do this. It's meant to be a voice calling to you from the future going, this is your destiny. And there is, there's definitely a sleight of hand and I could see why someone would get confused about that. So there are like different, you know, types of Christianity that you, you, you can have. You know, you can have certain people who'd be like massively into their Christianity and they have to do it out of fear. For example, that was called sort of like classic Middle Ages Christianity. That does not facilitate personal development because you're not following the real will of God, the the church becomes the All-Father, as you're saying, and you're bending the knee and going, I'm so scared, I'm so scared, don't send the plague again, daddy. You know, whereas if you're more of an Aeon of Aquarius type Christian, um, you know, the type we talked about in the Ion series, more of a, not new age, but more of a um, spiritual, you understand that Christ is a psychological principle, you've got a destiny, he's your conscience, and you should listen to it, then that's not the All-Father suppressing you, that's your inner voice coming out. And as Christ said, what you should do is you should come and be a Christ like me, Rather than do as I say, it's a it's a sleight of hand there, but it's something to bear in mind. Or else you're going to fall, your, you know, fall into Christianity and be I have to do this out of fear. So hope that helps.
1: No, um, that's like I want to actually just build on what Jimmy was saying there. The I put a video up in this called uh, well I titled it so poorly I was like, God God laughs at wage slaves or something like that, but it, yeah. it was about that idea. <laughs> Um, so let's get into the metaphysics of Christianity as I understand it like the whole idea is that God has a plan so first of all God is a so God is someone who made the universe the universe was built by the big G and he, he he's shaping it to go somewhere so I was talking to a proper Christian and I say that like meaningfully as in like he's, he doesn't believe in like it's a metaphor he's like no no like, Jesus is like a literal spiritual force like he's floating around and all this stuff and um, he, we were talking about how you conceptualize Christianity as a worldview, and you could think like there's an awful problem with Christianity, and that's the problem of evil. It's like if God made the world, like why is there bad things? That's just such a difficult thing. It's it's always grates up against Christianity, and uh, like it challenges any person who asserts it because you have to answer that question. So one way we thought about it was you can imagine reality like a song, and God is making this song and he's doing it for like the pleasure of like why do you make music it's for the pleasure of a song now music needs to have dark parts it needs to have low parts it needs to have scary parts it's like any drama you know if you look at a, a movie it's not like winning yeah. winning 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 it's like this is kind of a dull movie so what happens is it's usually like Guy has got the potential to win, but then he starts losing for ages and it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. And, gets worse and at the absolute bottom he wins and then it's uh, happy and all this. And so um, you could look at like reality as this sort of drama that God is making. He's like a conductor in some sense and he has a plan for it and all the evil has a place and he's all whipping it into shape in some sort. And um, you are like this little part of it. And it's, it's, it's like, you're like a member of the choir. You have to play along. And there's a, this is the, the Satan myth. There's part of you that wants to, like there's part of you that knows you're so juicy and brilliant that you could run off and do the violin solo yourself and, and like, you know, punch the the cello guy in the, in the face and kick the conductor out of the way and be like, I'm the star of the show here. Cause you are, you're like the best. You're like the soloist God created you to do that specific job to be the most excellent. Lucifer is the shining light for that reason. And he wants you to do that, but you have to at some point realize that you'll sound better playing in concert with the, the choir as opposed to, you know, going off in some radical, crazy solo yourself. And um, all of this stuff is fascinating because it's, it's a representation of how the, it suggests that the, the world has an order of some sort. And in some sense, you have to bend the knee for the greater power of participating in the great choir. As opposed to going all autistic and your own your own um, craziness yourself. Now, that's one thing I want to drop because that's how I'd understand something like the will of God. But the second thing I want to say is the the division between dad and god because if you expect your dad to be godlike you're putting a lot of pressure on someone who's just a member of the choir like your dad is not the conductor he didn't make the game he didn't he just he's probably hasn't even figured out the game he's just sitting there with his little piece of sheet music doing the notes that he barely understands himself and he's even struggling and from falling off the page and whatnot like he's just another choir member like you and he's not special god the big g in the sky like that's the special one that's the one your emotions should be projected towards but of course if you don't believe there's such thing as a god you're going to project it onto your dad and if you can distill those two out from the archetype of the divine father to the the normal dad that it is and you allow him just to be a normal person and you detach your emotions from that well then you get a quite a lot of um freedom and hope from that problem which is how much we expect from our dads we expect them to be divine heroes when the real leader just they're, they're really just boils when it comes down to it yeah and so um that would be my take on that is that it, it requires a bit of an intellectual architecture to understand that the will of god as a concept somewhat exists in the world and then then there's a psychological choice you must make to say oh fuck i'm accountable to that not to my dad so that's one side of it you don't need to listen to him you need to do what's right according to the truth but at the same time you also don't need to burden him you need to do what's right according to truth and not be like dad you need to be perfect it's like well he's fallen like all the rest of us there you go there's my take Mm,
0: yeah yeah i guess one final addendum to that while you were speaking um breaking away from the great father is all about it's not about severing ties it's about forming your own identity so you don't break away from all wills and use your own will because that would be what satan is as you're saying you're meant to work together with yeah. society with the great father so that you can go and so that your identity is properly cemented and that you can update that structure etc etc so yes good question though good question next one comes from gabby and gabby asks does the death of god mean that christianity is in slow yet irreversible deterioration or, oh, or could it possibly withstand revaluation of all values and come alive more purified by withstand, I mean in case the revaluation allows a possibility for some values to stay the same if found useful for the further development of humankind and maybe even transition into the ubermensch. Goodness me. Here we fucking go. Here we
1: go. Well, like, if you want me to, do you want me to, do you want me to just out on this? Cause I, I, would Spur- all...
0: Spurg out on, on Nietzsche, go do the whole Nietzsche shilling, go for it.
1: Nietzsche Schill, you ask me. Okay, so first of all, let's talk about the death of God a little bit, because this is a, a juicy thought. I literally did a video on that, but there's so much more to it. Um, the thesis of my video was the idea that it was a metaphysical problem. So in the medieval times, they, like, they sort of believed in the idea of heaven, and they had a real different conceptualization of God, because God was almost like this. The way I describe God is probably closer to the way the Catholics understood God. Like I'm saying that he's some type of disembodied divine, more like a divine being principle, as opposed to what other people started to say afterwards, where he's like a dude who like comes down and like ties your shoelaces. And that's interesting because the whole dude who comes down and ties your shoelaces is a consequence of a metaphysical metaphysical shift in mindset like when they believed in a sort of what we would call a platonic God technically, this God of like the eternal Logos powers that ordered the world in some sense. And um, he's, you know, this is a very, very hard thing to to, to understand because, and feel because it's a very, very big idea, but it's it's like, you know, the laws of music is the way I tried to describe it. because I think that's the best way that people can tactically understand it and believe it, you know? So God is sort of that thing or that's his fingerprint or something like that. And it's almost like, the way a king will treat you. The king's literally not gonna come and like, uh, wipe your arse for you or shake your hand. He's better than you. He's bigger than you. And he has an agenda for the society and you're supposed to bow down and die for him at his whim and you should be fucking, you should be delighted to do it and you should do that with a smile on your face. Because his mind is better than your mind and you're pathetic compared to him. And that's a horrible, hard thing for us to, to understand. And that's that sort of way you're supposed to conceptualize that from the past. As I understand it, that's built onto this idea that there is because the thesis behind that is sort of this idea that the the universe at some point was created in a way. And so that suggests that there's this sort of dude, you know, he made the universe like a a little uh, fishbowl and he was, he poured the water in at the start. And that was like, you know, he, he started the whole thing. So it's a very big metaphysical idea. And it's very, very hard for us to believe that because what happens when you get into the modern scientific mindset is you don't believe there's another world. This is Nietzsche's entire thesis. We stopped believing in the metaphysical other world. Like, as I said in that last video, you can imagine that Christ, like Satan is inside the cup of beer trying to tempt you because the beer is like a pawn in three-dimensional space and satan is in like five-dimensional space and he's like entering the beer and making you drink it so he's trying to take you over and if you stop believing in that like you're like no it's nonsense there is no invisible world full of beings trying to coax me into doing shit which is what we've kind of done what happens is everything just becomes a three-dimensional world everything becomes material everything becomes you could even say fallen and that actually happened in coincidence with like paradise lost and all that when you started writing stuff like the fall now that coincided with the idea of, because um, this old God was wrapped up with the idea of order, of the hierarchy. He was sort of like Jupiter in a sense. But once you got rid of all that, you stop believing in this God and you start to suggest that everybody, everything is material. And so what God is, is just another dude in the in the metaphysical universe. It becomes, it's really weird. It becomes the straw man that we think that we fight when we're given out about, when Richard Dawkins says, oh, so you think God is just some dude in the sky knocking about, you know, you're, you're suggesting that God is in the universe, you know, oh, heaven's up above the clouds, is it, you retard? It's like, it's, that's not what they were saying. Like, you know, Dawkins is kind of right when he's going at Christians from this frame, because within this frame, Christianity doesn't really make sense. It nearly requires another world. And so Dawkins would be like, oh, so <laughs> heaven above the clouds, really cool. Oh, is, where's your daddy? Your daddy couldn't come down and save you? Because you, you've, you've made him material. You've materialized God. That, I think, is what Nietzsche said is the death of God. Now, I'm not sure that's exactly what he understood it as, but I think this is what he was getting at, is that once we pulled God out of metaphysics and put him into, and we said all everything that exists is in the universe, and we're all here together, what happens is God becomes like this this boyo and me and Jimmy are like talking. And then if I say, Jimmy, uh, Ireland is the great Catholic country, God will come and be like, good job, boyo. And you like pat me on the back and like, and you know, reward me with something and these type of things. And so, and so this, this, like we're in the material world in that type of sense. And then what happens with that as well is that all of our consciousness becomes, it it moves away from us being some type of like spirit Spiritual forces, like we're we're not we're not fallen beings trapped within the material world to go back to our true beings of light in heaven. We're, there's nowhere to escape from. It's not like the Matrix where we're going to escape to somewhere else. That's not what's going to happen. What happens is we we all are here, and consciousness is this sort of special thing that's trapped in matter in some sense. I I don't know how I'm making sense with that, mm-hmm. but that's where you start to get the idea of like individuals coming really prominent. And that's very interesting because the 16th century, Lucifer falling out of the choir um, individualism, nationalism, the idea of like individual rights and all that, that's where that stuff really starts to become prominent. That's around about the same time, all of this stuff really started to happen. And Nietzsche saw all that. And Nietzsche was like, like I, you know, people, Jordan Peterson says it, it wasn't a triumphant statement. Nietzsche was freaked. And you kind of see why, because he saw that we were running off a belief that required two worlds, but we only believed in one. So what was going to happen is we were going to get the nonsense where people believe that Descartes that we like the the world is fake and we've got this like special consciousness of some sort, and um, and this is where you get Christian morality tied to nothing, Christian morality based on nonsense. Like it's not adapted to reality at all. Maybe Christian morality in the past would have made more sense because God would have said, "Well, there's a just hierarchy that you must obey." but now it's, it's just like this radical, crazy thoughts that are going on. And what I'm saying is that's a paradigm shift. It's so big that we don't even see it. So people are like, are you Christian? It's like, it doesn't matter if you're Christian, if you believe that God's some dude walking around the earth. Like, it doesn't matter because you're still stuck in the materialistic paradigm. Are you atheist? Doesn't matter because you're still stuck in the materialistic paradigm. Are you uh, pagan? Doesn't matter because you're still stuck in the materialistic paradigm. Like a, a person who believed in the Catholic medieval times had a way different understanding of the world than we would. And um, then the last thing I'd say about this, and this is the scary thought, and then I'll pass this over to Jimmy. I've plenty more to say than this as well, but this is the scary thought is that Nietzsche realized this and said, the only way you could put Christianity back together is by reproposing there is a metaphysical world, a second world. And he said, we can't believe that anymore. Like, I think like he's saying what we learned through the enlightenment and science is that there is no metaphysical world. Like that was us waking up literally. And that's the truth. Like this, this world is all we have, you know, and that's the big idea. Now that's frightening because that means that Christianity may have been incorrect. That's what his worry was. Now I'm not proposing this, I don't understand this stuff. I know that's a radical suggestion, but he's saying that through our actions, we've already, we've already digested that. And now what we're doing is we're just running on empty until we properly process it. You could say it's the material pill, the, 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 yeah. the world's pill or something like that. And so he's, his whole project is, I know it's, it's really hard to understand, but his whole project, as far as I can understand it, he was saying that because we've only got this world, and we were using a morality that depended on two worlds. We were using a religion that depended on two worlds. It was almost like, imagine if you made a religion for flat earth and then suddenly you realized the earth was a globe. It's actually quite similar. You, you would suddenly have a whole different way of seeing the world. And, and the, your understanding of what morality, and, you know it would change everything. The story would change everything. So we're now in a new paradigm where we don't believe in the metaphysical world and we're not going to start believing in it anytime soon. We, that's just not what's going to happen. Now, I could be wrong about that, but we can talk about that in a second. But just let's steal man Nietzsche's argument. So he's like, no, it's gone. No other world. No metaphysical world. No world of magic beings and all this. Done. Not happening. All right? We're here and it's us. How do we construct the morality based on reality, based on the world we're in? And what he starts to develop then. And that's what he meant by reevaluate all values. He starts to develop a reconceptualization of all these things. Jordan Peterson was a part of that. You know, he said, Nietzsche, Nietzsche, I think Nietzsche was so smart that he actually saw what will have to happen, which will be a return to something that is more quote unquote Roman. But like Roman's not perfect either. I'm not saying we go back to paganism, but it's, it's moving towards something like that where it's a lot more based on life and evolution and how we understand the fact that we are evolved beings and all this and putting all that stuff into order. Christianity most certainly could serve a part, maybe even redeem. I'm not sure at all, but I think that's the nature of the problem we're doing and, and how it's going to manifest. I really do not know at all, but it's, it, there's no, like what I'm trying to say is there's no going back. Like there's only going forward and we have to understand the challenge going forward is reconceptualizing mor- morality from our paradigm. It's a very, very hard thought. Whew. Jimmy, any thoughts?
0: Yeah, good job, good job. That, that, yeah, I think that answered the question really, really, really nicely. You've you reframed it. So yeah, I guess to, to add an addendum to what you're saying. So you've, we've got this dichotomy here between the other world, the world of gods and demons and pixies and fairies, and then you've got the real material world. So of course, when you look at Zarathustra, for example, and this is why Nietzsche called himself the Antichrist, because he believed he was the Antichrist, the antithesis of what was going on. If you read Zarathustra, it's, it's, a, it's a really scary book. Because it's the opposite of the current paradigm, it's like completely flipped on its head. That's what that's what he was doing. He's like, I'm not keeping any of this bollocks anymore. It's going to hold us back. We should go and reevaluate this stuff. So you've got kind of like I like the opposites model a lot. You've got like Christianity and Zarathustra, and you can't square them together. Like you read the sermons of Zarathustra, and you can't do it. They don't work. So if the way to sort of if the model what you're putting forward is correct, Steph, then the way to go forward is you're going to unify those two together and that would be by finding the metaphysical spark within matter and saying both are the same and a lot of the stuff you've been saying a lot of the stuff we've been saying together fits in that type type of idea where you can construe the world in different ways so we say well of course we're matter but we're also an arena for emotions that's one thing there are there is also the principle of logos there is the principle of harmony and it all kind of comes from matter and so what what ion was trying to do was to answer that specific question because the way Jung fits into this story and where ion fits into this story is maybe this is the solution that we unify christ and antichrist so that'd be christianity and nietzsche for example and which also we across the course of the book was spiritual and material so other world and material world and how do we do that? Because you're absolutely right. We cannot believe in gods and pixies and demons in another world anymore. No evidence. We've fallen from heaven in paradise lost. So you've got to try and not necessarily try and reassemble it, but to see where those ideas came from, Were they made up fantasies, or did they actually arise from something deeper? And so what I believe is the psyche itself is that unification between matter and the metaphysical world. And the psyche itself holds all those gods and demons as psychological principles. So you're simultaneously in both. And so you can combine them together. And, and when it comes to actually specific principles that come along, are we going to still have some Christian principles? Yes, of course we are, because th- lots of those Christian principles weren't arbitrarily consciously crafted. They came about naturally. You know, and, I mean, take the idea of vocation we just spoke about. Well, you want to throw away vocation, unless you live in a totalitarian state where you don't get to follow whatever dream you want, you have to do set job. That doesn't make any sense from any kind of standpoint. You want people to maximize their own human potential. That is a Christian idea or innately Christian, not necessarily a church idea. So of course, some of them will be kept around, Gabby. Absolutely. I don't see a problem with that. So good question and good answer, Steph. I was impressed by that. Good job.
1: Oh, I've, I've plenty more to say as well. Um, <laughs> I just, I, I do, I do want, want to say something about what you said there. So, so if you dichotomize between Nietzsche and Christianity, I, I still think it's, it's not the correct way to conceptualize what he was trying to say. Like, I think specifically that idea of, it's, it's not about religion. Like, it's not about ideology. Like, it's not about, is it are we Christian? Are we Islam? Are we Buddhist? It's more about, as I'm trying to put, these meta paradigms. Like, it's literally, it's almost like literally how we think the world is. Like, we went from thinking the world is, I guess, semi-flat and made of magic to the world is fundamentally we're in a solar system that is dead and empty and the universe is way bigger than we thought it was. And adapting to that metaphysics seems to be steering our morality in a very strange way. And Nietzsche has just a very, very worrying thing to say is that once we've shifted the metaphysics, the paradigm has somewhat changed. And a lot of stuff changed with that as well. Like it's not just, I guess the metaphysics, because that's like the best, most lucid way I can describe it. Once we said the universe is eternal, and huge you know so big that none of us are ever going to see it that's a lot different from perhaps the way people understood the world back in the past and god fit like fitted very conveniently you could even say christianity's thesis fitted very conveniently in that world but even the pagan religions had a similar conception like they were all you know flat earth and all that and they had that sort of there was a magical metaphysics going on there and reincarnation was a part of their religions too and as we, as Nietzsche was doing, like Nietzsche would riff off those themes, reincarnation, but he would write it as eternal recurrence. He would try to find that archetype in a new metaphysics. He's, he would say, we're gonna eternally recur, but it's not like rebirth. It's not like we go to heaven, which is Christianity. It's not like rebirth where we went paganism. He's like, no, what, what's happening is the physical universe is going to c- expand and then contract and do that forever and we're going to live this same life over and over again, quite an absurd statement, Mm. but he's like, that's your reincarnation. So you better enjoy it now because you'll never have it. It's you're going to, you're going to do this again and again and again and again forever. So you better fucking enjoy it. And that's him trying to find something that you can consider. uh, What, what was we like spiritual is even a bad word for it. Because it's like, what, what does that even mean? It, in our paradigm, that word makes no sense. You actually notice that when people bring up the word spiritual, you're like, yeah, but that's like kind of meaningless. And it is because it doesn't make sense in our paradigm. Our paradigm is tragically fallen. And it, so the ideology is not the important thing. It's like, all right, what, why are we thinking this way? And how do we put together something that will empower us to act going forward? And so there's a really hard question because... If you become Christian incorrectly in this paradigm, you take the stance that heaven is literally some other place and this whole world is fallen and you're going to wait for heaven to happen. And that turns into a death cult pretty fast, whereas the Catholics had this very coherent way of like fighting with the world and being very, very assertive and proud and strong. And so you have to be very, very careful of that. Like you can be a Christian and be completely different than an ancient Christian. And that's where things become really, really difficult and lucid is because it's almost like there's something superordinate to this. That's what I'm trying to point out is there's this like meta thing going on. And so um, Nietzsche would be like, like as, as, as you know, as cutting edge as possible, how do we get to the absolute juice as soon as possible? How do we empower ourselves to act in an assertive, positive and creative way in our current paradigm? And that's where he comes up with something like Zarathustra. I would actually conceptualize Zarathustra as something that is is not against Christianity, but is... A, like almost like trying to be a step beyond. Now, I don't know that it succeed, but trying to step beyond and say, all right, here's a new way we can see things that doesn't owe anything to Christianity and doesn't try to take anything from Christianity in a negative sense. You know, like, oh, fuck, like Richard Dawkins. Oh, because this is what I'm getting at. Like Richard Dawkins is like, oh, Jesus, God is stupid and wrong. And, and, and I'm, I'm an atheist. Atheist is like, you know, complete Reactionary. I am an atheist. It's just a, such an idiotic idea because it's, it's, it's not real against it at all. It, it's, sorry, it is only just against it. It's not asserting anything positive. Whereas if you're going to go for something new, something like radically thinking first principles, and it will kind of naturally synthesize all that stuff. And you're not going against anything per se, you're you're moving, you're just literally working on, I guess I I can only say it this way, you're working off first principles. What is this paradigm? What empowers me towards these things? How do I do it? And that completely reframes everything. And to answer Gabby's question, finally, as far as I understand, I don't know how that's going to manifest. It could mean Christianity gets dropped. It really could. I'm not sure. I'm not saying I want that to happen. I'm not saying I understand if it will happen. I'm not, even pro- I'm not even saying it will happen at all. I'm not even sure if it can happen. Or it could change the paradigm so that things like Christianity start to move towards it. Like once the paradigm changes, Christianity adapts to it a bit. Like Christianity is very liberal right now. Maybe if the paradigm changed, Christianity become less liberal. Like that's, that's something you have to pay attention to. And then Christianity could completely revitalize and we could completely reimagine the religion like the Catholics did in the first place. And so something new could happen in that sense. I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out the problem a little bit myself. So there you go. There's final thoughts. I'm done. I'm done.
0: Yeah, and I, I agree with all your thoughts. I still think that Zarathustra is a facsimile of the Antichrist. And that's not saying it's a bad thing. I think that on multiple levels, Christ is the heavenly world, Nietzsche is the physical world. In a way, in a way. And he's, he's a facsimile to the Antichrist as well, because in John's gospel, he said, um, basically people will come along who will claim to be the true, the true bearer of the gospel and you're not to trust them, which is why people go, oh, Luther's the Antichrist, Napoleon's the Antichrist. If you read Zarathustra, he has the sermons of Zarathustra and he goes around gathering disciples. Like to me, that, and considering Nietzsche wrote the Antichrist, that's why I conceptualize it as these two things that are at odds. They don't hate each other. They're like me or me. And so to me, the answer is like, psyche which is exactly i think what you're actually saying that there are these principles that exist if you just want to go first principle reasoning you don't have to take into account harmony and emotions everything else we could just literally say first principle is this dog eat dog darwinian world and you know the the more pathological misinterpreted version of the will to power which is let's fucking destroy each other you could you could so rather than go pure reason you go psyche which also brings up the unconscious at the same time we can argue about that another time though that's, that's... well
1: like i will i will touch on it like it's not an argument you know? It's a discussion because i'm still i'm still figuring this stuff out i've no fucking idea like i don't i don't know what the hell's going on here at all but um t- take that like if you're talking about first principle and dog eat dog world mm. like, like like that's that's actually what we have to do like nietzsche sort of saw himself as writing a solution to darwin darwin fucks everything up because darwin is like yeah we're we're animals and that's way different than we're not animals. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you know, that's hugely different. And um, implicit in that is the idea that, all right, well, nature created us. So we're from nature. So then you have this problem because we sort of thought we were, you know, we, we're ones blessed with consciousness and animals are... are beasts satanic beasts and in, in a weird way i know that's complete straw man but follow me with this whereas you would have to look to nature and say where the fuck did consciousness come from where did life come? maybe not even consciousness because that's even a mistake as well like animals aren't that conscious but they have a lot of life it seems like life is the fundamental thing where does that come from? what is that like what is that animating living spirit and so this is where we, we,
0: we've then got to play with that though because i doubt you'd include ant and bacteria on you know, the same they, scale as blue whale
1: they're not the same scale but they're they're definitely alive and this is where you st- you can actually learn a lot from looking at the ancient religions the ancient religions are categorized as animism we think it's very stupid to believe a stone is alive they should be like uh, uh, it's, it's jimmy come out here uh, do you want to do you want to come for a fag and we'll worship the stone and like, yeah well, like-
0: that, that, that was because um if you're to believe neumann anyway then their consciousness was still developing so they had what was called particip- participation mystique which basically means they project all of their unconscious onto the surroundings and they don't realize it's themselves so, so like, I'm a, I am attached to this bird. It is my spirit bird. And if the spirit bird dies, I will cry because I've lost a part of myself. It's what kids do to, to, to their mothers. The mother is a part of them, basically. So
1: let's, 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 um, let's perhaps point at a possible shadow from Jung and Neumann and all those. And again, just discussion, not debate. Yeah. Let's point at a possible shadow here. These guys value consciousness as the ultimate arbiter for, for meaning in some sense. Now, that's probably a man at some level, but you know they're always trying to explain things from the context of psyche and consciousness as some type of magic. And so when they look at the past, they're trying to understand it as something to do with consciousness as the, the main purpose or goal within it. But if you move to that more Darwinian, ugly way of looking at things, consciousness gets radically devalued. It's almost like something that happens eventually to help us adapt to reality, but it's not perfect. That actually shows up in science a lot. Like we're full of biases. We're, we're, we're like very, very not perfect beings. And um, the consciousness is not as reliable as we think it is. But something like instincts and life have been tested for millions of years. They're very, very reliable and they're more ancient and more fundamental, it seems. It seems like consciousness comes out of life, not the other way around. Right now, I know I'm making radical statements, but let's just follow with the steel man. And so you could imagine that all of you, the universe is made up of energy, like for example, as a fundamental force, if you will. And when energy got into matter, like how uh, the apiogenesis or whatever that I abiogenesis, that stuff, yeah, but yeah. But but you can sort of be like like let's just run with something ridiculous, like maybe it all coagulates together into this charged you know, lump of rocks or something like that, and that suddenly becomes this like little beetle, and then it morphs into like the the fish and then it turns into like the boyo eventually. Like it's it's um that's that's like suggesting that the life itself is this little charged thing and that's what's fundamental. And so when those people, those ancients grew up, yes they were projecting onto it in some sense, but maybe they were seeing the world as it actually is. Like if you like the ancients, like Heraclitus for example, and Nietzsche loved him, described the world as entirely made of flow fire logos that's where the word logos comes from and he's saying that it's all this like swirling um energy and all this and i've been listening to a lot of ian mcgilchrist as well and um, ian mcgilchrist talks about left brain and right brain dichotomies left brain is this serious problem because it's actually technically delusional it doesn't see reality right brain does right brain perceives things in the terms of flow for example me right now every Every seven years, all of my cells are replaced entirely. And so what I am is this sort of like weird snake in time. I'm like this flowy little creepy dude. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like I'm not real in that type of sense. And the left brain can't handle that. So the left brain just says that I'm the same person. It sees a photo of me and says that I'm the same person. But perhaps the more right brain way of seeing things is, is more like, gooey way of understanding things and it's almost like oh it's all made of energy or something like that and um, then that's not perfect that is very unconscious like i I, i'm not trying to like completely go against that but very like you just wake up in the jungle and you develop the garden of eden consciousness and you're like whoa it's pretty cool around here you would see things that way and then the more conscious you become you actually come out of that a little bit and then what may have like the thesis is what may have happened is that animism was actually correct on a fundamental level, just not in, not in the evolved way that we should understand it. And then we went and we, we, we said, no, that's all bullshit. And we went very, very monotheistic and we overvalued consciousness as the source of everything. And that was our 2000 year journey in that ion with Christ and all that. And then suddenly, as Nietzsche said, that consciousness trained itself on the truth and has now invalidated itself. And now we're going to have to go back and, as you're saying, unify the opposites in some sense. And that means to go back and be like, oh, the animism was correct. The world is just made of energy and we're just manifestations of that. And our consciousness is it needs to be actually tamed by that. That's what it would be. That's what it would mean to step back into God's choir is to actually re-enter the the, the dance in some sense. That's as far as I understand this stuff. That was really me going like radical as fuck, but that, that's what I, I think he is suggesting about all that stuff. Yeah, uh, can I, I
0: yeah no, I see, I see no problem with your logic thus far. However, I'm, I will project into the future some of the... Because we've, we've had these little you know, discussions before and, it, and it's what comes after the first principle which becomes a problem. Because we could, we could argue whatever we want. Or if, say, say that that is correct. We'll just take that as being correct. It doesn't matter because people will still use their instincts regardless. So, so, so take, this has always been my problem with this, with this line of thinking is you have ant and you have bacteria and you have fluffy puppy or you have panda. And panda, Okay, so by the way, pandas are shit. Okay, no one likes pandas. Pandas should have gone extinct long ago, but they don't because they're cute and fluffy. So we keep them alive, right? They, all they do is eat bamboo. They're making themselves extinct. Will to death. Freud. But we keep them alive anyway. So what are we to do? Should we, if we're going to conserve something because it's cute, is that wrong? Because all life, therefore, has a valid reason to exist. Why are we valuing cute? Maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we should value ant over dog. You know, and it sort of ends into this weird fluff where you're going to go up to the average person and and going to be like, ant is worth just as much as your baby because they're both alive. And they go, fuck off. Because that's kind of weird. That's kind of the line of logic. And if I'm making oh, well, a mistake, that's, you can point that's that a good out.
1: Question. That's a good question. That's a really good question. And that's precisely what I think he means by being trapped in Christian morality in a materialistic world. Because if you look at things the way we look at them, under, like take, take my metaphysics I just described them. We're like, oh, we agree on that. And then you say, well, what's moral? And me and you are Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris. And we say, oh, well, answer the same as babies therefore let's all go vegan and abort all our kids and that actually is kind of coherent in some yes sense. it
0: is yes it is and it's, it's like, oh, okay
1: uh, yeah it's scary nietzsche says christian morality is wrong as a first principle
0: but, but but what if you don't reason morality what if it's built into biology and i'm not saying christian morality because i've got okay. problems with lots of christian morality for example so, they like, like take sex before marriage is a very arbitrary thing it's very contextual right it's like why why can't i bang people or bang someone who i you know when we talked before there is a spectrum to naughtiness of of banging why not so i think think you're right we don't take that as god if you'll pardon the pun but some of it will be based in instinct and it's like your baby is worth just as much as ant so why are we giving resources to baby and not give resources to ant
1: so they'll be like this is
0: my fucking
1: baby you know this is a this is a really 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 good point like it's a really good thing to press it on like, if you say Christian morality is wrong, it's like, well, what the fuck? You're going to be nihilists? And Nietzsche was precisely what he said. What is going to happen? We'll all be nihilist. So he panics. He's like, how do we put a morality in place for when this inevitably happens? Because it's going to have to, because the paradigm's forcing it to. It's like you're trapped in a box and you're eventually going to fall down the hole. And yeah. so he says, well, we need to create a morality based on the first principle of life. For example... I'm not saying Rome, but Rome has one based on that. Like, and I'm serious, like the, the idea of energy as this fundamental force, more so than consciousness. The Roman idea of the soul is not some yoke in your head. The Roman idea of the soul is literally the word animus, which is where we get the derivative of the word animated. It's that idea of movement. Emotions were animus, you, to be moved was to live. You could, you could prove that you're real and alive and exist by killing yourself in Rome, because what would happen is some guy would trap you and stick you in a jail and be like, I'm going to make you a slave. And so what the Roman would say is that his last statement against reality was like, I am going to prove, I'm going to let my animus rip and I'm going to fight this guy to the death. And that's like, think of it this way. If you want to get an understanding of how that's moral, think of Leonidas versus the Persians. He doesn't he, he just says, you're going to have to kill me before you get past this this Thermopylae gate. And he, he willingly dies, and he dies with style. And it's that type of thing. And that's a very sophisticated morality that I think people on a gut instinct level understand. And it all falls into place quite easily. You can call it the, 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 the noble warrior morality. You know, like people say, master morality, evil. It's like, he's not saying that. He's saying this type of idea of like, you know, Russell Crowe in Gladiator, like fight for fight for these higher principles and all this. And then what happens is you have this sort of pride, like fundamentally underneath it is this self pride. Leonidas is proudly going to die. It kind of be logical to go with the Persians. Like, oh, they're going to win anyway, so I may as well bow to them. And this is where reason and consciousness to become a bit, little bit evil in this context. It would make sense, but as a matter of pride for being a Spartan, as a matter of my value system, my faith in my form, this, it's almost selfish in a weird way, but that's not the correct way to understand it. It's just, it's a noble pride. You start to make everything about you. And this is how life progresses through a sad idea. Well, the sad in the old way of seeing it, through a, a little bit of a, you know, I'm gonna make my art great for me in a selfish way, but that's actually gonna reward the world in some sense. And so me as a human, like I'm this great treasure that has been evolved. And I'm going to choose me and my vitality over all other animal forms. And that's a dark it sounds dark, but that's actually, I think, more accurate to how we think, even if we're Christian, than than any other framework of morality. We just by instinct choose our own vitality. Life is self-interested. And that that really intense competition is actually what drives life upwards to the potential of becoming higher and higher and higher and better and better and better and I know it sounds scary and I know it opens up very very scary possibilities but I I think just to address your question about morality is an instinct I think yes and it can work in this way as well perfectly coherent with human instincts and biology I even would say more so
0: uh yes okay okay well i'd have to see what that would look like if you draw any of this stuff out if you make a video on this is my worldview this is my genius philosophy <laughs> i've solved nietzsche's problem i've done the reevaluation values i would love to see it so i can take a look and if and, it, oh, and if some of it is we must eat babies that are aborted <laughs> because why would we waste life's gift and human flesh is the most because it is the most nourishing food so therefore we should as a moral right to praise our lord whoever that happens to be saturn probably in your case, then we, have, <laughs> we, then we must eat the, 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 the flesh of this and our own placentas. Because, you know, I'd have to see I know, it. I I'm a skeptical boy. So tizzle, tizzle. Um, yeah, let's, let's move on to the next question, though. Thank you, Gabby. You, uh, yes, got, uh, yeah, you got more than I hope that helps. Hope comes that helps. with a simple question leads leaves with psychosis. Uh, <laughs> so this one comes from Collective Raw Boyo Juice again. And he asks, or she, I do not know, of course. How do you go about changing a discussion into genuine conversation when it comes to biased ideologies. I've met at least four, that's a lot of people, self-proclaimed communists and plenty of socialists in the past months. And I live in the States, so I can't help but feel terror or upset. Terror, Jesus Christ, mate! I do naturally steel man their views because I do believe in the kingdom. But I also believe we have a nature that would affect the way in which authority governs. They believe that human nature can be harnessed, evil, and that if we were all equal, we would stop all being evil and greedy how do i help make them see how retarded that sounds
1: first principles i'd say like me and jimmy here are having a chat and it could be very easy for like us to spurg out and be like don't you dare criticize nietzsche jimmy and jimmy could be like don't you dare ever talk about the antichrist and all this but so so basically what you're saying is he should just play that clip of you
0: (laughs) just just then talking about eating babies
1: and um like the still things like what we're sort of the way we were talking here is but see this is a good faith argument you know this is a good faith discussion like we're going into this and we're being like all right here's the first principle and then jimmy's like all right i understand what you're trying to say there but there's this problem where i could see that the irish will start eating babies again with crumb -crumb crook and i'm a bit worried about that and so there's there's that type of thing like it's it's this fear of no it's this um it's this allowing your fears to come out in a rational way. So it doesn't turn into like, oh, well, uh, me against you or something like that. And that that, um, th- that is almost, that's interesting. It's a psychological thing. You kind of have to tell people that's what you want to do. It's like, oh, look, I don't want to have an argument. Or it's, it's, and pe- like, people by instinct know this. Arguments are pointless and stupid. And if someone like insults you and says, oh, you don't want an argument because you're going to lose, you could, I think you should kind of take it on the chin and be like, yeah, cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I'll lose. Yeah, cool. Yeah, enjoy your day, dude. Like whatever. Just don't, don't get emotionally invested in it and leave that offer open. Well, this is sort of how I do it. Leave that offer open. If someone wants to talk, I present like drill down the first principles, say to them, look, I want to challenge you here on a first principle. I'm not trying to catch you out. This isn't me trying to prove my social status to all the women in the room by, by proving that I'm smarter than you. I don't want to do that. I, I genuinely just want to find the first principles. Can you do that with me? Let's do it together. And then people will pull up like, and it does work a little bit. It, like it's not going to solve all your problems because people are so naturally biased that you can like literally sh- pull up a first principle and say if everyone's equal it'll be better and you can be like alright I can pull out Google and get like a PowerPoint and then just show like gulag after gulag after gulag after gulag and they'll be like they'll have all these rationalizations and you can sit here and you can talk through all the rationalizations and at the end of it you'll be like finally I got them and they'll, they'll, they'll just come back the next day and be like Oh, it's like it's all the same same talking points whatever that will happen but at the same time it's your best bet in my imagination like that's 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 about just as well as you can do i think it's just sit down Mm. and try bring the conversation to a different energy
0: uh yeah i think that's that that, that's a good idea especially if they're thinking types because it it, it would depend because if you're trying to fix somebody's problem if we say this is a problem you'd approach it differently depending on their type i think we've got a question on this coming up later on um (laughs) what I would say as well is there'll be a spectrum of people you'll come across. Some people are normal people who think it's cool to just be a communist, okay? You can change their mind really, really easily. (laughs) Then you have other people who have daddy issues or mummy issues and so you need to, you know, maybe they need a hug, basically. And then you've got other people who have inflation and to demonstrate inflation, you know, take for example Laszlo. I love you, Laszlo. Take, take Laszlo. If, you, if Laszlo walks into the room with his Bible under his arm, his burning cross in the other hand, and you say, well, let me tell you about Nietzsche and all his first principles. That. He goes, fuck you. Ave domine. And you're never going to change his mind. Ever. On anything. I'm joking, Laszlo, of course. But you obviously sort of see the idea. You're, you're attached to the idea in an inflationary manner where you're not going to break it. So you could do what Steph says and actually sit down if you have the time and the goodwill to actually try and talk to them you could but I think perhaps an alternative approach especially if they're more normal people who aren't necessarily open to ideas and actually thinking about things is to just be social dynamics to be a genuinely sincere person to be authentic to crack a smile to not be autistic colloquially in the room with, with, with these people going, I think you're wrong. You know, it doesn't work like that. It's like, hey dude, how's it going? You put your arm around and you want to come out for a beer with the boys. We can talk about smashing capitalism. You go out with them, you hang out, you have a couple pints with them and then you just talk to them sincerely. And when you, when you really listen to somebody properly, you can, you can pick up, especially if you're an intuitive thinking type, which, which you probably are, you can pick up little things in them and then you can run with those. So I've, I've practiced it before to see how quickly I can get people to open up and I can do it in like two minutes now depending on, on the person, especially after a few pints of beer and they'll start opening and all the ideas disappear and they'll start changing the conversation towards what's really up. Well, my boyfriend wasn't really nice to me. You know, I, I, I go hang out with him and, and, and I'm, 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 I'm way more sexual with him than he's sexual with me. And I kind of feel a bit lonely. Like, oh, well, tell me more about that. I understand how you feel juicy you know
1: (laughs) you sound like a psychopath the way you're like (laughs) you you, you,
0: you know what i mean it kind of changes the conversation towards something that's more meaningful and they become more receptive and then if they are if they're not inflationary attached generally it goes i've I've tried very recently i did the same thing with people and they were like we're communists and i was like i I tried the more reasoning argument i was more friendly and open and they were like actually i disagree with you but i kind of really like you actually huh Ah, oh, huh. so it made it more civil. So rather than fix their ideas, it's let's have a human connection. That would be yep, a genuine great point.
1: point. Great point. Like, actually, more fundamental point than my one. Like You're actually looking for that human connection. That's actually what I'm trying to say. Find that human connection with them. And if they look like they're like going to civilize themselves and actually have a conversation, then you can start digging into the first principles. Sometimes with guys who are very smart, you can do that through conversation. And they're like, yeah. oh, this guy's trying to think and people will love that. But absolutely, that's that's a, that's that's a great take, yeah. Mm. Jimmy, next question, please. Next,
0: next question. Uh, I've, got to, I've got to bounce in about 20 minutes. we we'll can see if we can breeze through these. If not, we'll have to do some kind of part two later on today or whatever else, or, or whenever. Uh, Luke D, my boy Luke D, he says, how do we maintain hope in the future, Jesus Christ, while accepting a bleak reality? In other words, how do we develop a realistic vision for ourselves and others without deluding ourselves? Or in other words, how do I amore my fatigue?
1: So you realize that amor means love and fatty means uh, fat girlfriend. So uh, <laughs> if you want advice <laughs> on that. <laughs> I mean, what, what would Nietzsche's take on that be, actually?
0: If, like, if your fate is to have a fat wife like, and you really don't like her, do you accept your
1: fate yes. in that way? You must love your fate at all costs. That's, oh. that's what it is.
0: Okay, okay. I'll get that one up.
1: How do we maintain hope in the future? So a lot of what I'm trying to do is... Um, as far as I understand it, I'm not really conscious what I'm trying to do. Like I want to make people feel the juice. Like when I'm putting out music or I'm putting out a silly story about Alan Watts and all that, um, I want to, I want people to, to just feel it because I do believe I have a positive, assertive vision, but more, it's not a vision. It's not some type of intellectual thing I've done. I just sort of have a good positive feeling about the world and things like, you know, my understanding of, uh, my faith, my, my assertion that there is order in the world and you can trust it and you can use it to your own ends and you can play with it and you can interact with it and it, it empowers you and it, you know, it has its own personality. Like all of that stuff is a very empowering and very, very, um, humbling on one hand, but also very, very confiding. Like it's, it really makes me settled in my stone stomach that, you know, if you play things well, and if you, take responsibility fully and climb up the fucking mountain, things will go well. And that's a very felt experience. It's it's you know, people will call it spiritual in the past, psychological in in the psychotherapy and um, place. But I, I just I don't want to categorize it. It's just that it's like a grounding gravitas feeling. Like every, you just feel like there's more weight in your, uh, in your feet. Like you're just more grounded in some sense. And that gives me the most amount of hope. Like I do see a lot of crazy stuff going on right now, but it's almost like I know that there's a order behind it. I know that there's a way things would have to go down. For example, like look maybe you're into politics but let's just look at things more culturally like people want to stabilize the culture they don't want things to be you know getting so insane and and juxtaposing against things so strongly and if you were to compete in that sense and say all right well i want to establish a new attitude in the culture where people are more truthful and more principled and all that it's really down to you to get serious about it and and that's actually like most people that blackpills most people, because the reason why is because they're lazy and they don't want to get serious and they know that they're going to lose because they don't want to do stuff, you know? And for me, like, I, I know that I can, I'll try my best to establish positive first principles. And I might fail because the world is very, very hard to win in, but it's, it's almost like, even if you fail, you know, that you have a shot. And that's where I derive quite a lot of hope out of it. So um as much as, people see there's a bleak reality and there is black pills and all that and it most certainly exists. I don't think you've got any rational justification for being um, too hopeless about it. Like fundamentally, there always is hope and you're probably on some level and I hate to say it, but you're probably on some level being a little bit dishonest and cowardly or irresponsible if you're just excessively blackpilled. Like people have gone through wars in the past and made it through. And you're just like living through a time where people just have too much comfort to make sensible decisions. And you think that everything's lost. Like you're probably part of the problem. So um, that, is a, that is the totality of my take there. Jimothy, um, yeah. pass, pass it on to you. Yeah,
0: I, I like that take. Because um, it depends if it's a personal, you know, I, in terms of like a personal life, I'm doomed. So, or if it's a society, we're all doomed. I've got different answers for each, for each one. On the personal side of things, uh, basically what you've said, actually, Steph. So it depends what you've got going on though you know if suddenly the a family member's been struck by a disease and then you suddenly developed a disease and you know you've been hit with an extra bill this month it's really high and you can't afford to pay the rent and you're going to be chucked out you've got your, you know your job's therefore going to fire you it is difficult it is difficult but in situations like those depending on how sensitive the emotions are you should First of all, process them. So I'm not going to, depending on your situation, I don't want to force anything on you. But you also, if it's within your control, you need a slap around the face and told to grow up, uh, in in literally the nicest way possible. Because if you're <laughs> if, if, if 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 you're there, if you come home from, from school and you know the bullies are beating you up, you know what does you do? Your mum gives you a hug and she goes, "Oh, don't worry, my darling, 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 darling. No, oh, it's everything's gonna be okay." Then he dad go, "Shut the fuck up, go fight the bullies." that's what my dad used to do to me he's like go attack the bully. In fact, he, did, he gave a piece of advice which was so genius he said if the bullies fuck with you beat them up he's like if they start beating you up you beat them up back and i did and i got into massive trouble and i was like daddy told me to do it i was like 11 and then my mom was like don't tell the school your dad told them to beat up other 11 year olds for christ's sake but it's, it's that case of manning up basically it's like reality is tough and i have to take it head on but you will have to of course go through some uh, an identity crisis spiritual crisis loads of other things like that depending on the severity of the situation like if you suddenly developed ms or something it's like i'm not about to slap you around the face and tell you to grow up but if suddenly you know your job has fired you i will you know so it is contextual and on a societal level if you're afraid of the world being doomed i would highly advise you to stop consuming any and all content that leads to those kind of thoughts including mine including steph's for example if you're if you're listening to free domain radio all day every day And he's going going like, you know, the world is doomed. The world is doomed. The world is doomed. It's like, well, you're going to think the world is doomed. The world's not necessarily doomed. You know, otherwise, what's the point of all of this? We would have have an armed revolution in the street otherwise, because what else can you do? There is still a level of hope. So if that's your problem, I would advise cutting out all content and living in reality for a little while around other people. And maybe the people in your workspace are horrible, bleak communist types too. But at least you won't have that echo in your ear of going, it's all doomed, because that will also start changing your personality at the same time. So... Two different things for you hope all is well though i hope you're not you know i hope it's not too bleak for you my friend
1: i've uh i've found the questions here so i've i've already got a preemptive answer here to aiden do you want me to read okay, it sweet. Or... yeah go for aiden I've, i have a question i might be a bit different from the usual but i love writing essays could you suggest an essay question that will send me down a deep insightful and potentially terrifying research journey Um. okay so look up ian McGilchrist. And the right brain, the left brain theory looks specifically at the, how the left brain has a problem where it struggles to actually understand reality. It is by fundamental, fundamentally a delusional um, hemisphere. It's, it's, its purpose is to allow you to use things. So what it does is that it's a focus tool. So what happens is that when you're in a room, you zone out everything else and you pay attention to one thing and you use it. And that's sort of what your left brain does. It's the, 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 the forget the truth, go for what's practical brain. The right brain is the quiet, silent brain that is actually probably closer to what we would call the unconscious. The left brain seems to take on the characteristics of something like the ego, the nonsense, inner thoughts, the rationalizations. The right brain seems to have this power of, um, it, it seems to be in touch with reality. And it, it's like, for example, um, someone, someone uh someone you're able to split the brain and ask people questions when one of the brains is turned on and the other brain is turned off and so they would ask someone uh someone a question like describe yourself describe what you think people think of you the left brain would write this like really arrogant version of it that's completely out of touch of reality the right brain would write this really like realistic and down to earth one and then when you'd ask all their friends and family to write a description the right brain is like pretty much the same as those the left brain is completely out of the out of the blue so the left brain is uh, the right brain is something that is underserved it's not actually, I guess you could say, what we understand is normal consciousness. Now, if you want to um, go for a crazy, crazy, terrifying research journey, look into the idea that when we, we were so civilized for a thousand years, that around about the time of the 16th century, when science and paradise lost showed up, perhaps we became so left brain dominant. That's why we had this materialistic paradigm shift. And so we're essentially stuck in this like, Luciferian left brain delusional paradigm where we think and science has got like a lot of left brain characteristics where we are literally just like living in a nonsense idea of like pure delusional egotism based on brain function that um, is going to uh, While well, we don't really know how it's going to be resolved, then what we would consider the, the meaning crisis is actually just this split between the old right brain that we don't trust anymore, but displays more signs of intelligence. Check that out for me. Tell me what you think. Jimmy.
0: Hmm, nice one. Nice one. Uh, I'm give you a slightly different answer, um, a more personal one. I would say maybe answer who am I? That might be a good question. Not me, Jimmy, because you really know who I am. <laughs> who are you? you know, who, who are you, Aiden 93? because that will help you more than anything else, I think, especially if you're into all of it. So if you're into the Jungian stuff, what you can do is you can say, okay, who am I? And then you can build a personal myth and you can see what's the story of my life and what was good and what was bad and what can't I let go of without losing a piece of me? What is that story? And then if you want to bolster it with the research theory, then you have ample room for shadow, anima and dreams. And I'd advise dreams first of all. So if you look at what your dreams are telling you, they're telling you who you are this the parts of you that you don't see and i think that would, you you'd come out the other side of that knowing well i mean the, the potential of something like this you said terrifying so i went with this one because it will reveal things about yourself that have the potential to absolutely destroy you in your current path so if you realize you're on your current path for reasons that you probably shouldn't be on your current path you might the psyche might force a change and i don't advise that because that's psychogenic and that's dangerous but you ask for terrifying so you get what you pay for. Sounds like a simple question. You know, oh, who am I? It's like, no, do it properly and we'll see.
1: How are you for time, man?
0: I've got 10 minutes left and we've got four questions.
1: We can breeze through these. Oh, well, okay. That's, look, that's two um, and a
0: half minutes per question.
1: That's the job. Is there a real based and practical way of using Migs-Briar typology? Jimmy, take it away. See what you got. In there.
0: Uh, yeah. So is there a base way of using Myers-Briggs? Um, basically, you're, you are skeptical of Myers-Briggs. Blah, 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 blah. What's your opinion of Myers-Briggs? Uh, Myers-Briggs, the actual typology, the four letters, I believe those are real. INTP. Steph is an ENTP. Pretty sure. I'm pretty sure other people also typed you as ENTP as well, independently. So uh, I think it is real. However, if you do your personality tests on Myers-Briggs, you come out the other side going, oh, look, they've given me this big printout. Oh, I'm, I'm a scientist. I'm an artist. It's bollocks. It's complete bollocks. <laughs> what you want to do is go do a test, come out with roughly what it is, go watch CS Joseph until I make content on this stuff, Go watch him. Look at your type. See if it fits, and it will. I typed my. I typed Mark actually. My 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 boss, Universal Man, and uh, I typed him as an ENTJ. And um, I just I sent him this audio digest, and he came back so, like that's absolutely spot on. So it's like, so you can actually get to the point where you can type. So it's got strong predictive capacity in terms of just looking at people. There are do seem to be distinct categories people can fall into based on their perception and based on their judgment essentially. So that's my opinions.
1: Um, I, I don't really have much of an opinion. I don't know. It well, I can only make like dismissive jokes about it. Be like, it's astrology for men or something like that. But like, well, <laughs> like, I don't really know. There could be like, you know, Young was a genius. Like he, he could have pulled off something fantastic with it. People definitely don't use like Migs Breyer or Myers-Briggs, Migs Breyer. Migs Breyer. Myers-Briggs. I don't know. Do they use it properly? Um, but Young like seemed to have a very solid thesis in his own mind and he understood a lot about the mind so um i don't really know i really don't know too much about it um, if, if uh, people want to see any kind of predictive capacity i think
0: steph is an entp uh, and also cs joseph is an entp and lots of you guys are familiar with cs joseph watch the similarities between the two of them and you can imagine put them in the conversation they would argue non-stop with
1: each other so they're both yeah. i think they're both the same type you should ask him, uh, <laughs> ask him what he thinks uh what he thinks of Nietzsche. we'll see how that goes
0: what do you think about eating babies as a first principle for society
1: I don't mind, I don't oh
0: okay the the next question this is kent one again asking about he said when when i when i was a rake That's most women wham- wh- wham- i sex was some level of choke me daddy dude you're a horny fuck aren't you you, you really want to answer this question jesus lord we're gonna skip that one So Aiden comes back and he says, does the individuation process have a set end goal or is it an ongoing process? Are there any historical figures we could consider to have achieved individuation? I I can answer that really briefly. No, there is no set end goal. It is the holy grail myth where you're always looking for you, but you never find it. The reason is you can never integrate your shadow because the shadow is a homeostatic system. It's always sitting behind you. So there will always be a shadow to what you are doing. You're doing things in the world and there'll always be a negative unintended consequence. You'll always have it. So you'll always be developing and you have a dialogue preferably with a partner of the opposite sex, so you can have that anima development together. Historical figures who have achieved individuation would be Buddha and Christ, and but nature. they weren't really real. Were <laughs> so, 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 yeah, it's not a real thing. It's just you, you gain meaning from the journey. The journey to the Holy Grail is the quest in and of itself.
1: Um, does it have a set end goal? Or is it an ongoing process? I agree with Jimmy. It's absolutely an ongoing process. I'd be very like again. I like as always, jargon. Be careful, even with young. You know, he's got some genius concepts, but and don't like you know don't completely dismiss concepts outright. Like they are quite useful, but at the same time, if you think if you're if you're trying to over plan, like it's like saying this is exactly how my life is going to work and this is what I should do and these are the experiences I should have. Where it's it's more like. The, the concept of the shadow will take you far enough if you want to use a useful concept. You should go out and do things you're afraid of, do things that are dangerous, do things that are a little bit naughty, a little bit outside the, the realm of uh, advised. And, you know, f- get in touch with yourself. See what you're like in your more animalistic state. You know, like you you are civilized. Go and fight someone. In a controlled environment like an MMA gym, and just see what it's like to experience that raw fear of when someone like wins you with a, with a with a proper punch to the solar plexus, and just experience those things, and you start to, you know, you start to fill out your personality, and you're gonna find like I'm an existentialist before I'm a Jungian. What you're gonna find is at some point you like you, you just get involved in the process and you realize that like, you're never going to be perfect. You're never going to figure it all out. You're never going to be, you're never going to reach the end. There is no real, like, you know, great victory and all this. It's, it's more about just going through the motion, going through the flow, getting, just getting in, getting your head in the game. And, uh, you know i guess you could say fighting like stepping in the ring and fighting and whatnot and then trying these things out and and then you you just quite naturally individuate like this is something i think not enough people understand it, it kind of annoys me about the Jungian thing is that you're not broken like you are able to do all this stuff naturally you have been doing this for like humans have been doing this for millions of years before we got civilized you're not It's like, there's nothing wrong with you. It's not like you can't individuate. It's not like you have to figure it out or strategize it. You know, Jung is just trying to solve a very particular problem where because we don't have any myths, it becomes a lot harder to do, but your instincts are the source of your myths in a large sense. And so you can trust them a lot and go with them. And something like the shadow is trying to push you back into your instincts in many senses. So yes. And any historical figures, like I would say myself and Jimmy, and then um, yeah. maybe, maybe Nietzsche. I, I'm not sure if Jimmy agrees with that. But no, of-
0: no, he was, he, well, actually, his individuation was Zarathustra. He just, uh, he just only went down this sort of the shadow side. So because <laughs> individuation is all just becoming who you are, which is why I really like it. So, so even if you're like, you know, you might say that the Knights Templar were strongly individuated people, and maybe they were, but the, they had a massive shadow, which was going to suppress all our instincts. That's not being who you are. That's falling before an idol before you. So to become who you are. And also it's not to nut everywhere either because then that's your instincts in control of you. It's a dialogue and you can't completely do it. But it's to, and you know when you're alive, you know when you've done it or you're on the path because you wake up happy and you wake up with energy and excitement. And you're doing creative, good shit with your day and you're living a good life. You come home, your wife gets your slippers for you. She gets your pipe. You got your little hound there and you're having a, you're having a, a gay old time, as they say. And onto the, uh, onto, onto the final question.
1: Englishman's dream, right there—the <laughs> English individuation. Have any of y'all come across statements in people's works, like Nietzsche and Young, that are empirically false? Yes, Ooh. all of Nietzsche. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's a lot of thoughts about the English that I think are definitely true, but he might like. I think I think he might get a couple of things wrong. I'm not like empirically false. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Does he make assertive statements that turned out not to be true? He because the way he talks is a little bit different. He's more about like, perspectives and, and reframes. Like he, he's, like, you know, he's not saying uh, like factual statements. He's, he always struck me as more saying, why don't you look at religion th- as this? This is what's happening with religion. Why don't you look at Rome this way? Why don't you look at uh, whatever, like history this way, or this historical event this way, these type of things? Um, there's a few things that he said that you could call them up on. For example, he describes consciousness as an epiphenomenon. And he seems to assert it. And so you could tr- test that out with him. Maybe quantum physics proves that wrong. I'm not too sure. Like, um, I, I don't understand quantum physics. But these type of things, you know, you could, um, you could, you could take him to, to task on. And you could probably find a couple of holes in a few things he says. Because I think he does make assertions. I just, I just don't remember any of them at the top of my head. But one of them that could be false would be something like consciousness is... Um, consciousness is an epiphenomenon. I'm, I'm not too sure, but that's mm. one I remember him, him saying. Jung, on the other hand, I, I, I don't really know. I, really
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to give a sort of a, a balanced thing. Just, you've reminded me of something. Um, you can definitely critique Jung for this and you can't critique Nietzsche for this because he was all in. Nietzsche lived his philosophy and regardless of whether or not it killed him, you know, it, I, I have suspicions that it did, but it's, regardless, he was all in and he did it. Jung didn't. You know, he, he he was there banging women and smoking and whatever else. <clears throat> but in terms of in terms of finding statements that are false, I've not come across something that's empirically false. However, lots of Jung is more philosophical than it because a lot of the shadow generally falls into general philosophical concepts, which is why people go towards the shadow and not the anima when the anima is more important. Um, so you can't really verify some of that stuff when it comes into philosophy. Nietzsche's philosophy you can kind of verify because he you know you read Genealogy of Morals and it's like it's it's correct. Or, yeah. or at least yeah, you know if, if you point. come across like the christ mind virus thing i have i have problems with that because you can't verify that but in, in general he's based and he uses the you know the the, the the science of language so that's why i like him it's not you know a philosopher sitting there going oh facts <laughs> or anything like that no he's he, he's he's based it so these are good guys to go to however you don't really update philosophy no one's really updated Nietzsche's per se except for you staff with eating babies yeah. of course but um Jung has Did been I discover updated. a new
1: archetype any chance today you community. you
0: discover them daily, daily, my friend. Um, yeah. But but uh, Jung has been updated in the form of uh, lots of biological models, and uh, a lot of his concepts have been taken further, and lots of them have been modulated and tweaked by further Jungians. But that's up to you to explore. And with that, oh. we're out because I've got shit shit to do. One one last thing, Steph, go 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 go. Uh,
1: I just wanted to say that, um, like for example, left brain right brain theory, you could actually look at the right brain and the left brain, their interaction, the necessity for the left brain to to kind of open the doors to the right brain, as descriptive of what Jung was talking about with the shadow. The right brain fits almost all of the characteristics of the shadow. Something that's hidden has personality outside the psyche and usually is more in touch with reality and may even have a more moody and darker take on things. Perfect. And it's it's built into your biology. So like... Jung gets a good kudos there. Let's call it a dat. That is probably about six hours of talking about is the world flat as usual. So nothing has changed over in this end, people. I hope everything's going well. Jimmy, thank you very much for your time. I'll let you escape to whatever mad stuff you're doing. And um, any last words?
0: Yes, if you want to take, if you've watched all this far and you're currently not on the Patreon, you can take part. And be uh, insulted and called retarded by us on air if you join the, 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 the specific Patreon tier for this where we gather up all the questions once a month. We go through it. We make a ridiculous podcast like this. Hope you've enjoyed, people. I hope you've enjoyed Steph and his autism today. It's always wonderful. It's always a pleasure, sir. And uh, we'll do this again soon.
1: People, for more public Nietzsche co- coping, um, you know where to find us. Talk to you later, people. Bye-bye, 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 bye-bye. Bye. Do you want to stop? Yes.